community this morning, whether you're with us in person or online. This year, I have needed more constant reminder. I don't know about you, but I've needed a more constant reminder that God's still here and present. And gatherings like this remind me of that. Today is a unique day. Before we dive into the text this morning, just to want to make a quick note that for those of you paying attention to the rhythms and practices of our church calendar, tomorrow marks a really significant day for us as a Christian church. Uh, Christians all over the world on this day we call All Saints Day are encouraged to remember those who have walked before us. I say that this morning as a reminder for both you and for myself that we don't stand here today where we are in our faith just because of ourselves. And we don't just stand here today in our faith just because of the work that Christ has done, while that is incredibly important. We stand where we are today in faith because those men and women who have walked faithfully before us, the people that come to my mind like my grandfather, my mom, my friends, my university professors, people that poured into my life when they didn't need to, people that lived as an example of faithful obedience, even when it was difficult. And so as we dive into the text this morning and ask what really makes us the church, I would invite us to pause and reflect on those people that come to our minds. A practice that I've developed in the last few years that has become one of my favorites of the year is every day, every year on All Saints Day, I make my calls to all these people that have lived faithfully before me. And it's always a wonderful conversation, whether through phone or email, where we reflect on the things that God did in our lives, but also the ways that God is continuing to work. Some of these mentors have since passed on, but some still live with me today. And so I just want to pause and reflect on that this moment, this morning. Let's dive into our text today as we continue our series called The Journey of Grace, as we've been reflecting on what it looks like to follow God, but follow God faithfully towards his purpose of grace in the world. And so we talked about the grace that God gives us, the grace that God does in our lives, the way that God transforms us as people, and as Pastor Doug talked about last week, the way God continually wants to transform us. But today we're invited to reflect on how that grace influences not just us as individuals, but us as a gathered community of people. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word today, and then I'm going to offer a response at the end. Let's read from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And the text reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I 
think there's moments in our lives where grace begins to take root. Maybe it was that moment that we were spared a punishment from our parents. Uh, we were extended a, an extension by a professor in a university class. Or we were let off with a warning when we really should have gotten a speeding ticket because we knew we were going a little bit over. These moments when we receive something in our lives that we know we didn't deserve, this is what grace looks like. We point back to these moments, uh, whether they're in our everyday lives or when it comes to the realities of our faith, we look back to these moments of grace through story and celebration, and they become sort of reenactments as we tell the story again. These reenactments play an important role in the ongoing responsibility of us as a Christian community to practice both nurturing and nourishing the grace we live into daily. And so we gather for this purpose to retell and re-envision what God is doing in our lives and wants to do in the lives of those that have yet to come. And while grace begins with God, today we need to affirm that we have a responsibility to cooperate, participate, and discover that which God has yet to do in the world. And I think grace can, can take root in our lives in a variety of ways. Right? There's, there's stories that we that inspire us, that remind us that God is powerful in the world. There's these moments of initial excitement, the stories that get told from the pulpit, the stories that get us ready for God's new work in the world. And while powerful for both individuals and communities, these stories that maybe we've heard before, these stories, when neglected, become like the seed that falls on the rocks and fails to take root. There's other ways that grace takes root in our lives, and I would like to suggest this morning perhaps a more faithful way. See, grace can also take root in our lives in the quiet and slow faith of those who have walked before us. But these are the stories we hear less of. These are the stories that are less romanticized in our conversations. They don't have the initial kick that we might long for in these sorts of stories, but any good gardener will tell you that the strongest plants are the ones that take deep and lasting roots. These are the ones that take patient attention. So I would suggest to us today that for grace to take root not only in our lives, but in our community of faith, sometimes it takes small steps. I've been learning from God these last six months the value of small steps in my faith, where I feel like I have been trained and encouraged to look for big steps. Not that those aren't valid and valuable, but that I began to notice that my faith was lived from big moment to big moment, and I hadn't often learned what it looked like to take small steps with God. And so what's exciting about a community of faith, what's exciting about us as a gathered people known as Skyview Community Church, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we brought in the Brunel Parra family into membership with us, is that being a part of a community encourages me to live in those small steps when it doesn't always feel as exciting. It encourages me to pursue a faith that doesn't always make the headlines. Pursue a faith that grows, a faith that takes roots, a faith that digs down deep, and will endure even the toughest of times. But sometimes when we encounter grace, 
We don't know how to recognize it. There's been moments in my life where I've seen God at work in the world, but I didn't know how to understand it. Again, why communities of faith matter so deeply to us. See, as I might look at something and understand something, my brother or sister next to me might have no concept. Tell the stories. I have a lot to share. Sometimes I have a lot to share as to what God is doing in my life, but some days I feel empty. Maybe some days I feel like I have nothing to offer. This, friends, is why we need one another. This is why the church is the gift that is given to us. Because in the moments when we feel whether invigorated or exhausted, we gather together in a community of faith to share in the work that God is doing. So as we encounter grace, this process of nurturing becomes not only the responsibility of the recipient, but also of our community as a whole. In our discussions of grace, we can easily keep it to ourselves only ever asking questions of how it impacts my life and my needs. What does this do for my story? We've talked time and time again about one of the greatest plagues to the Western world is an over-individualism that ultimately shrinks down God to only what I need and what I want. This faith will wither. This faith will fail to dig down deep and sustaining roots an example of this shared grace in my recent memory was a few weeks ago when we celebrated Grace Made Real. I didn't ask him if I'd call him this morning, but Grace Made Real in the life of Luke as he was baptized. And while that moment when he was plunged under the water in a, in a heated hot tub, which is really cool, by the way, he got baptized in a hot tub, while that moment was significant, there was a far more significant moment that happened later on in the lobby, in my opinion. I don't know if you remember this, but a moment when we gathered around, I believe it was Don and Stephen and I gathered around Luke and began to share our baptism stories. There was something significant that happened in that circle. Something significant that happened in conversations like that where I began to realize that my faith was never mine to begin with. But it was a gift from God to be shared. It's in moments like that when our grace, the grace that God has given is shared with others that I begin to see the fullness of what God is doing in the whole world. And so part of growing in grace begins with remembering well, but it also begins with remembering together. My comment earlier about days like All Saints Day have been so significant for me in my faith because it encourages me to not only remember stories of my journey, but remember stories of others. And in those conversations that I get to have with some of these friends and mentors of mine, it invites me to reflect on what God is doing in all the world. As they not only ask me what God's been doing in my life, but I get to ask them the very same question. These sorts of stories take root in our lives. These sorts of people dig down deep, help us to bear a load that we cannot bear on our own, nor should we have ever tried to begin with. What are the stories of grace that come to your mind this morning? Let me tell you a few of mine. 
As I've mentioned before, my grandfather is a very significant figure in my own faith. I've come to understand as I've, be, as I've tried to tell my own story of salvation, to not just to begin that story when I was a 17-year-old boy walking through the park in the middle of the night, screaming at the sky, asking God why, while it did have a significant transition there. My story of faith began with my grandfather, and probably even before that, the story of grace made real in my life. My friend Ishmael, who was my lead pastor, but more than that, my friend, my last church in Texas. A friend that embodied Christ for me in the simple practice of always making space for conversation when I always knew that the sermon had to be written for the next Sunday. It didn't matter what time of day, night it was, there was space made for honest and vulnerable and open conversation where he would ask me very plainly, how is it with your soul these days? My first pastor, his name was Chris. When I experienced a call to ministry, he sat down with me and showed me how he wrote sermons and taught me how to write my very own, which, don't go back and read your old work. And you'll just think, where did I come from? But a man who sat down with me, prayed with me, encouraged me, loved me, and shared in the faith that God had given me. What are the stories of grace in your life? Not just where God has given you grace, not just where you have experienced transformation, but where you have shared in that with others. Maybe you find yourself with many names coming to mind this morning. But maybe you struggle like some to know what that feels like to be a part of a community. I say once again, this is why we have the church. We don't come with the assumption that all of us have experienced that sort of shared grace, but we come with the ex expectation that all of us can. And so as we gather here today, we both receive grace from others, but we are also called to share it. We probably should get into the text. It's just my introduction. I know you're all a little nervous. <laughs> a little bit of that was extra this morning. Acts chapter 2 tells us a really interesting story and follows one of the most dynamic portions in Scripture that we have. The story of Pentecost, a story where, as one author said, the faithful remnant of God's people that went all the way back to Abraham became the spirit-filled body of Christ to suggest that God had been at work long before what we call the birth of the church. God had actually been at work for thousands and thousands of years. A helpful reminder for me this morning that God's bigger than just my story. But in the wake of this group being filled with God's spirit, we're left asking as the readers, what difference does that make? Because if it's just about the big exciting moments, then, and there's no rootedness, no habitual practice, no transformation in the community, then maybe that story doesn't have as much power as we thought. And so Luke brings us to a halt right at the end of chapter two. Luke, the author of Acts, not in the book of, you're thinking, Luke chapter two? No. <laughs> Luke brings us to a halt to tell us what difference this sort of spirit-filled moment makes. 
But before we discuss the text, it's worth noting the various ways texts like this can be treated. See, we can read this as simple prescription. What I mean by that is it's easy to read texts like this of the early church and say, well, if we just lived like this, then maybe the church wouldn't be fill in the blank with whatever deficient way people usually describe the church these days. Sometimes when we approach these sorts of texts, it's easy for us to critique our own modern church. It's easy for us to say, well, they had it right and we just have it wrong. And while I don't deny that there's things we probably need to change in our modern practice of faith, I would suggest that texts like this are meant to be less prescriptive and more inspiring. More inspiring for us as a local community to read stories like this and say, well, this is the way that God manifested in that place, in that small Jewish church in the early first century. But you know that God is still at work today and wants to manifest in this small local church in Calgary we call Skyview. And there's something that God did in that place that perhaps things will look similar, but what God did in that church was rooted in the needs and desires and culture of the day. And so as we think about what it means to be a church here in Northern Hills, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, we have to think about where we are. We have to think about the needs of the people around us. We have to think about, more importantly, who God has given us to accomplish his work. And I say all of this to say that we have a temptation as people of a church to look upon our own community of faith with a sort of deficiency that maybe God hasn't given us what we need or perhaps we are simply unfaithful. But I would say to us today, what I have been hearing from God these days is an excitement, an encouragement that God has given us the people, the desires, the passions to be who God wants us to be in this place, in this community, in this neighborhood, in this time and place. And I think that matters. I think that matters when we think about what it means to be a church because what it invites us to do is not compare ourselves to the church down the road. It doesn't invite us to say, well, if we just had that, then maybe we would be faithful. Well, if we just looked like this, or maybe if people just started doing this, but it invites us to say, well, maybe God's already been at work ahead of us. And we as a people, when we begin to share the grace with each other, and we begin to listen to the stories that others are telling, when we begin to ask one another very plainly, what is God saying to you these days? That we begin to discover what God is sharing and hoping for us in this place. And so as I preach with you this morning, one of the things that God's been doing on my soul, partly because one of our favorite authors has been reading a lot of Eugene Peterson recently, if you've ever read him, it's just good for the soul. As I've been reading through authors like him, I've been reminded of the value of place. I've been reminded of the value of a people in a time, in a place. And so as I look around this morning, both you in person and online, I'm excited. Not because I look around and I see a lot of resources. I'll be honest, sometimes pastors have the temptation to look at people as resources. Would I look around excited because I see a place with a people that are committed 
to following God faithfully. And I look around and I see a lot of different kind of people with a lot of different passions and different needs and different desires. And while that provides a challenge for us, that makes me excited. That makes me excited because it shows me that the small story that I have by myself is not the only story. But that when my story is added to yours, and yours to mine, and ours to one another's, we begin to see God in a better way. That I actually can't even see God on my own. I would say that very plainly to you this morning. One of the most heartbreaking comments that I hear from people is, well, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. I don't say that as a pastor who just wants more people in the seats. I don't say that as somebody who just wants more involvement in the life of the church, although I enjoy those things. I say that to us today because I think we need to be reminded that our faith cannot be lived in isolation. Our faith cannot be lived on our own. Because when faith lived on my own, I only see this much of the picture. The times we have on Tuesday mornings when we gather for our staff meeting, while we go through business and we, we, we do all the things we need to do in our staff meeting, my favorite portion is when we reflect on the preaching text of that week and share with one another what God's been doing in our lives. Because I hear things that I didn't see before. I hear things that I wouldn't have heard on my own. I hear things in ways that I would have never considered. I've said this to Pastor Brittany before. We need each other. We, I love working with Pastor Brittany because she teaches me a faith that I would have never experienced on my own. And I say all of that to you this morning, church, because we need one another. I think that this text invites us to reflect on a few things, and I said that there were marks of the church, manifestations of what it meant for the church to be faithful, and I'm borrowing from commentator John Stott this morning, who divides it up into these four, and I think they're helpful for us today. He says that first, this church in Acts was a learning church, a church that was committed to understanding and continuing to know who God was calling them to be. A quote that's famously attributed to Aristotle, it, we've maybe heard in university classrooms before, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. I heard that on my first day of university and thought, what a dumb idea. <laughs> I'm here to know everything. Right? I, was, I went to university so that I could learn all there was to know about all things so that I could be effective, the job I felt God had called me to. But what a dumb idea that was that I had. <laughs> Because how true it is, the more that we begin to learn in our lives. As I was sitting with some of our pastors the other day, Pastor Doug said, the more I begin to know, the more I realize I don't know a lot. And I think that spirit of humility is the spirit that God calls us to. A place where we become certain of a few things, but also we become open to a lot more things. See, what's interesting about this church that we find in Acts is that they were open to learning. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that goes beyond just, you know, us saying, like, well, I hope you're taking feverish notes on all of our sermons, right? right? I mean, I know you guys take notes on Stu's sermons, each and every one of them, right? <laughs> but what it goes beyond to say is that this was a church that was ready to learn. 
And learning only follows humility. What's interesting, there's a line that's often attributed to one of the people that, you know, we... um, we build our frameworks around in our denomination. John Wesley was often said to be a man of, of one book, a, a misused and misunderstood quote to assume that he only ever read scripture. But any good historian will tell you that that could be far from the truth. The while this man, who you know, we attribute a lot of who we are today as a denomination to, believed in the value of scripture, first and foremost in his life, was no stranger to resources of the day. And so this is not a sanctified comment this morning, but more of just an encouragement for us as a people that we need to be students. We need to be learners. We need to be open and receptive to the things that God is saying, not just through his word, but through the people of our day. So I find myself reading scripture, but also reading a lot of other things. If you're ever looking for things to read, I'm reading through Eugene Peterson's biography right now. Phenomenal text, but there's no shortage of good books out there. But I say that all to say that we should be a people receptive, a people that are humble enough to admit when we don't know. John Stott also says that this church was a loving church, prescribed in the statement that they were devoted to each other in fellowship. You know, I think if there was a church Olympics, I think we would all sign up for the sport of fellowship. I think that we're really good at potlucks and gatherings and barbecues and watching a hockey game together. I think we love that sort of stuff. We've we've said time and time again that that's probably been one of the biggest strains of this season is that we feel like we weren't able to do those things in the way that we would want. But while that sort of fellowship is really important, Paul goes a little bit deeper. He uses this word, this is your $100 credit hour word this morning of koinonia, this kind of Christian fellowship of sorts, to say that there's something beyond just this simple sort of gathering together and laughing and sharing, while that is important. He says that this sort of fellowship, this koinonia, cannot be some merely warm-hearted, brotherly and sisterly love, but it is a fellowship that produces wonders and signs. The author of Acts talks about these wonders and signs, and it's easy to read this sort of passage and think that those were uh, preludes to the fellowship, that they gathered because they saw wonders and signs, but I would suggest to you this morning that the wonders and signs were because they gathered with one another. I say to you this morning, church, that when we gather, the way that we gather matters. The way that we fellowship with one another matters. The way that we talk together matters matters. The way that we engage with one another, whether in person or on Facebook, matters. Let me get an extra amen for that one. Maybe some of us need to reevaluate the way that we engage with each other in days like this. Maybe we need to reevaluate the way that we have succumbed to seeing one another as simply opinions, as simply sides of an opposing view. Maybe some of us need to stop arguing with our relatives online. (laughs) I don't know where it is with you this morning. But I would suggest this today. That when we fellowship in the way that scripture calls us to, it invites us to let down our walls. It invites us to let go of the things that we have been so prone to use as weapons against one another. It invites us to let down the walls that we have let divide us, tear us apart, 
See, this sort of life isn't the absence of conviction. It's not the absence of opinion about the way the world should be, but it is primarily a posture that says, I will not let those opinions dehumanize the others around me. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of opinions right now that I feel are calling for me to push others away. And I have opinions. I have thoughts about the way the world should be, the way people should act in times such as these, but what I have been fighting most, what God has been teaching me most, is that I cannot let those things keep me from this sort of fellowship. I cannot let these things keep me from gathering with others, from asking questions such as this, how is it with your soul these days? I would suggest to us today that sometimes when we gather, we forget that we gather in the name of the Lord. I say that to you this morning. That I know sometimes when I gather, especially with people as a part of our church, I gather with this temptation that it's really just about having fun and laughing. Well, those things are great. They're so, so fun. Gathering in the name of the Lord invites us to share our stories of grace with one another in a way that I fear we have become unfamiliar with. So maybe let me recontextualize this question for you that Wesley encouraged his groups to ask. What if our fellowship was defined with questions such as these? What have you been hearing from God recently? What has God been saying to you? I wonder if when we gathered, whether it was a phone call, a meal, time before or after service, in the parking lot, wherever it was, what if our conversations were defined by the things that God was doing in our lives? Because let me tell you, the way that we gather, when we fight this temptation to draw lines, build walls, tear down others, when we fight those temptations, Scripture tells us that these sort of gatherings are what produce wonders and signs. These sorts of gatherings, when we are that sort of people, God begins to do phenomenal things. When I gather with somebody that I have no business gathering with, in the world's eyes, when I befriend somebody who I have no business befriending, when those relationships begin to form, even the very act of what we are doing this morning feels so contrary That a group of people so different, a group of people from so many different walks of life, backgrounds, cultures, languages, and understandings would gather under one roof, under one name of Jesus. Already unique enough. That's already transformational enough to produce the wonders and signs that scripture tells us about. That when people look at church communities, they can be rather confused Stott goes on to use a third mark of the church. He says the church is a worshiping church found in Acts. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This community was one that worshiped together. And while this included time in the synagogue together, it also included time around the table together sharing meals. It's interesting that uh, there's some scholars kind of have an argument between whether this breaking of bread is a comment about the Lord's Supper, uh, the sacrament that we celebrated last week, or just about the common family meal. And I think there's something interesting about kind of the ambiguity here. 
that Luke doesn't really tell us which one it is, almost as if to say that what's sacred and what's ordinary are kind of the same thing. But not that either one is less important, not that they aren't uniquely different, but the sacred things that God does in our lives also take root in the ordinary things God does in our lives. What begins to happen in these divine experiences, these moments of grace that we share with one another, actually has influence to affect the way that we live our everyday lives, whether it's the way we engage with people at the grocery store, the barista that's a little slow making our coffee, the person that posts that thing on Facebook that just gets us so angry. That what God does in our hearts actually has something to say about what we do with our bodies. And we can so easily section off our worship believing that God's activity only wants to influence certain parts of our lives. But Luke reminds us here that everything in the world is sacred because it all belongs to God. And finally, the mark of the church is the church as an evangel- uh, evangelistic church. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is an important piece because verse 42 that we read at the beginning, when isolated by itself, can insulate us from the world around us. And so all this talk of the church, don't let it distract us from the purpose that we have been given in the world. Sometimes the church does a good job of separating those things. We talk about discipleship as kind of an internal activity. You know, this is what we do with Christian people. And then there's outreach that we do with everybody else. But I would suggest to us today, and I think Luke would agree with me, is that these acts are complementary of one another. That to be the church is to both be concerned with us as a Christian community in our shared faith with one another, but also at the same time concerned with those who have yet to hear. And that the very way we live our lives with one another will either point people towards or away from Christ. If this season has revealed anything, it's revealed how visual the church is to our surrounding community. How much they see, how much they witness, and how important it is for us to analyze the way we live our lives in a place among a people. I would wonder how we're witnessing to the world these days. Perhaps we need to start by reaffirming that God is the first evangelist. Say that to mean that God is already at work in the world. In other words, the work to which we are being called is not our work, but the work that God has begun long before we ever got here. And this is why sharing grace matters so much. This is why it matters so much to be a part of a community of faith because it enlivens a picture for me that sometimes grows a little dim in my discouragement, my doubt, my lack of understanding. So what am I saying to you this morning? I'm saying that God has already gone ahead of us but no less calls us to walk alongside and I don't know about you, but I can't do that alone. I can't do that without others. I've sure tried. And never once has it buried down roots. Never once has it revealed to me the depth and expansiveness of what God's doing in the world 
So I ask you this morning, because I legitimately want to know, what have you been hearing from God these days? Would that be a forefront of our conversations with one another? This maybe seems like an oversimplistic view of the gospel, but I think this is who the church is to be as a gathered people that are listening and hearing from God and responding to what he is calling us to do. So let me tell you as I close this morning what God's been speaking to me recently. It's reminded me why place matters so much. Why a specific time and a specific place matter so much. I loved Skyview when I came here. But I've fallen in love with this place, with you people, in a way that I never could have imagined in these last six months. Even in a time when I don't even know all of you as well as I would like to. And I can only attribute that to the work that God is doing in my life. And I say that, not, I say that to you not as a way to flaunt some access to God that maybe some feel pastors have, but to encourage you that that story that I tell you, the stories that I have shared with you this morning are only one piece of the puzzle. My stories on their own are an incomplete picture of who God is. And that if you ever feel like you don't fit in all of this, know that you do. Know that your story matters. And what's unique about the church, while specific to the first century, we find in Acts, what's transcendent about that gathered people is that they were a people. It says that we're common. I don't think that means that they agreed on everything. I, I don't think everybody in this room agrees on everything. <laughs> I would assure us that my wife and I don't agree on everything. I know that's shocking to some of you, but I would say that to be the church is not to agree on everything, but to but to gather around the things that matter most. And what matters most to me is that God is still working today. That God's still moving today. That God's still changing today. God's still transforming today. That God is still at work, not any less at work because of things like this pandemic, but is just as present, if not more so, than God has ever been in all of history. As the band comes forward, let me close with this final thought. This togetherness of grace calls us to experience God together, to be vulnerable together, to practice our faith together, to learn together, to witness together, and to begin to understand God's fullness together. Grace is not this absence of conviction, but instead an intentional effort to hold primary the conviction that God has about all of us, that you are worthy. Somebody else need to hear that this morning, that you are worthy. This season has made us incredibly attuned to these opinions that seek to separate us and while our lives in the world will always develop postures and opinions, God's grace shows us that there is a way of life amidst conviction and opinion that will never strip people of that worth. That will never strip people of the value that God has given us from the beginning of creation. This 
my friends, is the call of the church to embody a posture that we together and towards one another could ultimately point to something bigger than ourselves that we know as the kingdom. A posture that when seen by others would showcase this kingdom in all its glory. A posture that would be a signpost towards something that is already on its way.